Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. It's Thursday, August the 3rd, and this week we're talking about the really frightening conflict that has been going on in Venezuela. And of course, there were elections there last weekend, which we will discuss. But pegged to this podcast is a world report published in the latest issue of The Lancet, which is written by Manuel Rueda, who is on the line. Manuel, welcome. You're currently in Brazil, which sounds a little bit calmer than Venezuela, I'm guessing. Much calmer. I was in Venezuela in May and June and just taking a, a little time away from it now. Well, thank you for talking to us when you're having a bit of R&R, as they say. But this is a very serious problem. Obviously, the conflict that's been going on in Venezuela has had some, probably not enough, media coverage, I would argue. So we are aware. Before we go into the details and the things that you talk about in your world report, which is looking very specifically at the response from doctors and medical students, could you just give a very brief overview of the political situation in Venezuela at the moment and what has led to this massive rioting and protesting against the government. The protests began to pick up at the beginning of April after the Supreme Court made a ruling that annulled the functions of the parliament, which in Venezuela is called the National Assembly. Then the way the government responded to the protests in April and in May was to say, okay, we're going to have a new election to pick a, a group of people that will rewrite the constitution. The opposition is completely opposed to that. They say it's a way to sideline the parliament, which was under the control of the opposition politicians. But the election was held for this uh, group that will rewrite the constitution. It's called the Constituent Assembly. The election was held on Sunday. This group is pretty much a government party supporters. What people fear is that they're going to have absolute power to rewrite all the country's laws as they wish and to further make it a more authoritarian country than, than it already is. So what you saw this Sunday was actually protest against the election that the government called for, which became very violent. And uh, at least uh, 10 people died in clashes between the police and protesters last Sunday. So that's the situation right now. It's, it's been almost daily protests since the beginning of April. More than 120 deaths already in the past four months of protests. And your world report in this week's issue of The Lancet focuses very much on the response from medical students and doctors and the so-called Green Helmets, a group that they've established to help provide medical and emergency support for the protesters who, of course, are being subjected to violence by the police. What can you tell us about this group and what they do and how they came to be? This group comes from the largest public university in Venezuela. It's called the Central University of Venezuela. They were actually funded in a previous round of protests in 2014 because they realized that, you know, there's always lots of injured people in these protests and there wasn't really any organized uh, support for these people who get hurt during the protests. So they have uh, around 200 volunteers. It's a mix of medical students, professors, or even, you know, doctors who graduated from that university, maybe now they're working and they have a private practice, but they volunteer for this group. So you have about 50 or 100 of them heading out to the to the protests and forming uh, kind of, the, you know, they're like kind of the, the medics uh, during the war. One of the things they do, which you've captured on audio, which we can listen to in a second, is they often, before they go into action, as it were, the group, the Green Helmets, the medical students and the doctors, to, to provide their medical response, is, is they actually huddle together and have a little prayer. Is that right? Before every protest, there's like a very tense environment because you don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes... The protest happens and there's very little 
there's minimal confrontation, so you don't have that many injured people. But sometimes it breaks out really violently, and uh, the police even sometimes have used uh, live ammunition against protesters. You know, you also have a group of protesters who fire, not the majority of the protesters, but a small group who fire Molotov cocktails at the police and all sorts of homemade bombs. There's a very tense atmosphere before the protests. And so these people, you know, they, they hold a prayer sort of as a way to, to calm down and, and hope for the best and to begin, you know, it's, it's part of their routine to, to begin to focus on what they're going to do. And Manuel, um, apologies for this question, but just to get some detail, what what is the kind of description of the violence that is being used against the protesters? And I do acknowledge from what you just said as well that some of the protesters are producing their own weapons like Molotov cocktails and, and, and throwing them back at, at the police. But in terms of the violence that's being perpetrated against the protesters, how do you describe what that is? What And what type of injuries are they causing? <laughs> The most common injuries are from uh, rubber bullets and tear gas canisters. What's been happening a lot is that the Venezuelan police are using the tear gas canister not just to disperse the crowd, but as a weapon to target people. These tear gas canisters are fired from a kind of a, a gun. And uh, what, uh, what, what human rights groups have been finding is that they're firing the, the canisters directly at people, not firing it at the ground, but firing directly at people as if it was uh, some sort of cannon. The injuries from, from those weapons uh, can be life-threatening sometimes. There's also been cases where protests go out of control. Sometimes they've used uh, regular ammunition against uh, protesters. It uh, feels very much like a, a street battle situation every time these protests occur. And within the protesters, there's uh, groups that are more radical, usually very young kids, uh, maybe 18 to 25 years old, even sometimes uh, 17, 16 years old who stay longer and fight more with the police. It's a very chaotic situation, and it's great to have these doctors from the Green Helmets who provide some relief. Now, of course, they can't uh, solve everything, but they provide some relief uh, amid all the mayhem that has occurred during these protests in Venezuela. I know it's in your piece that one of the things they do is they, they are actually pretty organized for a, a volunteer group. So often they're actually performing their medical relief right there on the ground in the street because presumably sometimes the injuries are too serious and they're worried about the delay of transferring people to hospital or, or making injuries worse. One of their, the main objectives of these rescue teams is to evacuate people from the area where there's a lot of tear gas and things, uh, you know, projectiles coming back and forth. If someone is injured, they try to evacuate them first to a place further back, still in the protest area, but further back. There they have another team of people who analyzes the person and tries to stabilize them. So, for example, if someone in the front lines has been hit 
by a rubber bullet. They take him towards the, the back of the protest. And there, there's another doctor who tries to, you know, stop the bleeding, maybe provide a, a painkiller and uh, stabilize the person a bit. If the injury is very serious, though, they also have these uh, pickup trucks that are kind of like an improvised ambulance, and they can take the person right to the hospital. Or they have motorcycles, they can take them in the motorcycle. The advantage of having people with training doing this is that they can stabilize the victim so that uh, nothing bad happens on the route to the hospital either. And the situation concerning access to medical supplies, Manuel, this is a really desperate problem as well in Venezuela, isn't it? Because pharmacies are often very poorly stocked. Are we hearing stories about supplies being smuggled across from other countries or from friends who living outside the country? Can you just give us a little bit of a, a picture there on medical supplies? Yeah, according to Venezuela's pharmaceutical association, the medicine shortages in Venezuela are upwards of 80%. So pharmacies don't have 80% of the stock, the inventory that they used to have. There are cancer medicine, uh, medicine for HIV AIDS patients is, uh, has become very scarce. Um, first aid equipment is easier to get. What these medics who work at the protest use is, you know, very, very basic kind of equipment. So they've been okay for now. But even uh, the, the Green Helmets have had to rely on people outside Venezuela who, who collect the equipment for them and, and bring it to Venezuela in their suitcases very informally because uh, importing, like officially importing medicines is also a very complicated process in Venezuela controlled by the government. It's a, a whole uh, act of resistance also to, to bring medicines into the country. It sounds strange, but uh, yeah, to bring in relief into Venezuela has become complicated over the past year. Final question for you, Manuel. I mean, how do you see the situation panning out from here? No, the situation in Venezuela recently has been a progressive stripping away of people's liberties. There were supposed to be elections for governors last year. There was a, there was an effort to organize a referendum on whether people wanted the president Maduro to stay or not. The government canceled that because the government has the support of the Supreme Court, or the Supreme Court is basically full of pro-government judges. So they've been, you know, uh, progressively taking liberties away from people. What will happen from now on is uh, what, what people fear will happen, what the opposition says will happen, is that this new body of uh, 500 or so officials that were elected to rewrite the Constitution will keep on trying to take other freedoms away. They're probably going to dissolve the parliament. Faced with that, the protests are likely going to continue because what people in these protests feel that they're doing is they're defending their country's democracy. They're defending you know, what's left of, of the democracy. The government will likely continue to confront the protesters with violence. So. Uh, you know, we've already 120 people killed in the protests. Unfortunately, uh, this number could keep on going up. There's been 5,000 people arrested in these protests since the beginning of April. That number of arrests may continue to go up. The mayhem is, is likely going to continue. And uh, these doctors, these green helmets, uh, these volunteers who work there are going to have uh, a lot of things to do. I forgot to say this before, but... These doctors are also risking their lives to help people injured in the protests. They can be hit by rubber bullets. They can be hit by projectiles. I mean, when they go into the protest, all of them are wearing gas masks now. 
so they're actually communicating with each other through signals, the doctors. It's not a war yet, but it's very, uh, you know, these street battles can become very violent. Well, they're obviously taking enormous personal risk and doing a great humanitarian job there in very, very difficult circumstances. And, of course, we'll, we'll monitor the situation in Venezuela. But in the meantime, Manuel Rueda, many thanks for your podcast interview today and for your world report in the August the 5th issue of The Lancet. Many thanks for talking to us. Sure, no problem. Good to talk to you.